Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, we're, <clears throat> we're not going to read all of chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> all the Word of God is good and, and, and profitable for you to read. But what we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 3 is the work begins. Uh, and they begin to work. So we'll read the first part of it, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. But we're going to get into uh, the first part of chapter 4 tonight and look at some of the issues there. <clears throat> but chapter 3, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the door of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Haniel. And next unto them builded the men of Jericho, and next to them builded Zachor, the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hashanah build, uh, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, the son of Meserabil. And next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Beha. Now, <clears throat> here's what you have. We have in, this, in the story so far, we have Nehemiah heard about the wall uh, being broken down in the city, about the people being in reproach and affliction. Uh, God burdens his heart with it, and he begins to pray uh, that the king would give him... <clears throat> time off uh, and all the rest of the stuff that he needs uh, to go to it, uh, go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall. And after four mo- months, he gets his moment. Uh, he lays out his request before the king and he's given everything he wants. So he returns to Jerusalem uh, with a guard and with letters, uh, giving him all the provisions he will need to rebuild the wall. He surveys the wall. He enlists the help of the people and says to them, let us rise up and build that we be no more approach. And they all say, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. So in chapter three, what you're looking at is they all start doing it. Now, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> let's have a word of prayer there at that point. Father, would you bless us? We need your help tonight as we look to your word. Uh, <clears throat> Lord, we want to understand your ways and your working. And, and Lord, we particularly want to understand the ways that you work through men and the ways that you work through our lives. Lord, would you help us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, there's a certain sense in which you could look at the book of Nehemiah, and you could just look at this book, and you could take it as a book on leadership, and many have done it. They've taken it as a book on leadership, how to do it. And chapter 3, chapter... Chapter 2, where he enlists, where he looks at the, 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 the state of Jerusalem and he enlists the help of the people uh, is a, a major work of leadership. And chapter 3 continues that on. You see, this good leader, Nehemiah, is going to rebuild this wall. It's vast. There's nearly a hundred years when it hasn't been built. And he's going to rebuild it. So what he does is he delegates responsibility for it. He gives certain people certain parts of it. Uh, you know, uh, you could have made a vast project uh, with Nehemiah running the whole thing from the top down, and he was definitely there, definitely in charge. But he's also building himself uh, on the wall. But what he does is he gives different people responsibility for it, and everybody has their portion of the wall that they're going to rebuild. To, they're going to work on and they're going to rebuild, right? Uh, so he, he delegates the responsibility. Each group of workers had a definable task. So in other words, if we, if we were doing it here, right, what we would do is we would say, okay, Joshua, you're responsible for uh, building the front wall. And Bethany, you're responsible for building the side wall. That would be pretty rough, wouldn't it? <laughs> and Vincent, we're going to have you responsible for building the, uh, the, the front of it. And what would happen is each person's family would get involved uh, with them, and they would all be building uh, on that portion of the wall. That's what Nehemiah did. 
And it's important when we're building that uh, each work, worker has a definable task because you know what's, uh, what's everybody's responsibility is nobody's responsibility. Have you ever noticed that? If nobody's responsible for it, uh, if everybody's responsible for it, then we all hide in the, uh, in the shadows and it's the other guy. Well, you know what? It wasn't possible to do that under Nehemiah's plan because you had your responsibility for building your certain portion of the, fa- of the wall. You and your family were there working on it. Your group were working on that. And that was your job. So you had a definable task. And also, I mean, why is chapter 3 in the Bible? It's, by the way, it all continues on just exactly like that. Why is it in the Bible? Because you know what? <clears throat> Nehemiah made sure that everybody got credit for the work that they did. Nehemiah made sure that everybody uh, was known for the work they did. And, and so their names are written down and it's recorded about them, uh, the work that they were actually doing. And, you know, <clears throat> it's important that people get credit for the work that they do, too. I mean, sometimes what happens is um, <clears throat> we work on a task and um, <clears throat> we feel like we're insignificant in it. We feel like we don't matter. We feel like, you know, we're, we're, we're just a cog in the wheel. And that doesn't work very well for us. We like to be recognized for the work that we do. Now, ultimately, the glory is going to go to God for the rebuilding of this wall. But Nehemiah is making sure that uh, the people who were involved in it actually get credit for what they did. They get credit for the parts that they've made. So it's written in the Bible. Uh, and God thought it important enough to make sure it was in there uh, in the canon of Scripture for us. So do remember that, that it's important that we actually get uh, <clears throat> credit for the work that we did. Right? Now, <clears throat> that's chapter 3. Uh, you, you should read it for yourself later on. But chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 1, <clears throat> we're just going to look at six verses in chapter 4, and that's where we're going to spend our time here tonight, right? But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth, and he took great indignation, and he mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Uh, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was with him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, our God. For we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their head, and give them for a prey to the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquities, and let not them their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. So they built the wall, half the wall was built. But what happened was, as soon as... <clears throat> They started to build. These two characters, uh, Sanballat and um, Tobiah, who had offered to help before. Remember, they were so gracious and so nice, and they were going to help uh, Nehemiah earlier on. And Nehemiah wisely said, no, you have no part of this. You're not involved in this. And now their true colors come out, you see. Uh, These two guys were people who lived in the land. They had lived there uh, for years. Uh, They had responsibilities there. And they did not want to see the Jews prospering. They did not want them to to see them uh, doing well. They were against them. Uh, They stood against them. Do you know that Israel has always had a large amount of critics? Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think that Israel has always had people that set themselves against it? By the way, if you look in the news today, you'll, have, you'll see almost total criticism of Israel. Everything Israel does is wrong. You know, and you've got the Palestinians uh, criticizing Israel. Now, now, by the way, just, just for your information, think about this. Right? <clears throat> the Palestinians are constantly firing rockets 
into Israel. Now, they're not firing rockets in with presents on them. They're firing rockets in with bombs on them to kill people in Israel. And Israel are responding by shooting down their rockets, and they have a system that catches them. And when the Palestinians do something and actually achieve some damage in Israel, what Israel does is Israel will go into Palestine, and they will deal with the situation. They will locate the house where it happened from, and they will go there, and they'll demolish the house. And there's an absolute outcry. Now, think it through. You've you, you got to think when you listen to the news, right? <clears throat> you know, you got to think when you listen to the politicians talking. And the poor Palestinians and all the rest. And Israel is so dreadful and so terrible uh, in what they do. Now, hang on a minute. All Israel's trying to do is protect itself. Why are they so hated? Why is everybody against Israel? Well, it's simple. It's spiritual. Because God loves Israel. They're his people. Now you say, but they're not a very holy people. I understand they're not a very holy people. I understand that you know they're not the uh, they're not the holy nation that God would like them to be. They're, uh, they're not, but they are still God's chosen people, and they are special to Him. And we, as believers, uh, need to uphold Israel. You know, when you talk to politicians on your door, if you talk to politicians on your door, ask them about Israel. And when they begin to tell you how terrible Israel is and how, 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 how they treat the poor Palestinians, ask them, what would you do in Ireland if somebody was firing rockets at us? What would you, what would you do? I mean, that's ridiculous. And that's literally what happens. Israel responds. Israel is not the aggressor in those situations. Israel is responding to them, and they are hated. All right, that's just <clears throat> off the cuff. That is Israel's history. Uh, Israel always has those problems and always will have those problems because God's hand is upon Israel and really the enemy of our souls uh, is against Israel and he will always be against Israel. But you know what? We need to be on God's side. That doesn't mean we condone the wrong Israel does. But you know what? We need to, we need to think it through and look at it and, 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 and not just go uh, with what the news would tell us uh, <clears throat> about Israel. All right, so, so these two guys are, are looking at them rebuilding the walls, and they are going after, is going after uh, Nehemiah and going after the work, and they're criticizing it, and they're tearing it down, and they're looking at basically to stop the work. Now, if it's taken nearly 100 years for them to get the temple rebuilt and the walls in Iraq and ruin, and they've, they've not succeeded in doing any of that, you have to wonder if it wasn't because of criticism like this, that as soon as they got going, there was criticism of it. As soon as they got moving, there was go- criticism of it. Now, <clears throat> you and I need to deal with criticism in our own lives, don't we? It's just part of life. We understand that we need to deal with criticism, right? Uh, first thing you need to notice, though, here is God allowed the criticism. Could God have stopped the criticism? God allowed it. God allows enemies into our lives. God allows people that stand against us. God allows people that would hinder us. God allows people that would stop us uh, <clears throat> from doing what he wants us to do. That's just part of life. You've got to understand that. Just the, the fact that you've got critics does not mean that you're doing the wrong thing all the time. The fact that you've got people who would stand against you does not mean you're doing uh, <clears throat> uh, the wrong thing. Uh, it was in God's will to allow these people to criticize. So the, there was criticism from, from Sanballat. Uh, then Sanballat gathers a crowd. Uh, and then Tobiah criticizes the wall. And they, they, they want to stop it. 
It's not going to go away, by the way. Uh, It's going to continue. Now, I want you to notice, though, Nehemiah's response to it. What does Nehemiah do in response to the criticism? Look at at it. See it there uh, in verse 4. That's Nehemiah's response to the criticism. Look at it. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of the captivity. Nehemiah's response to the criticism is prayer. Nehemiah's response to the criticism is to bring it to God. He doesn't take it on board. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go down with it and say, oh yeah, you know what, they're right. Oh man, it's a, it, it's a sick and sorry wall. Look at the state of it. He brings it before the Lord in prayer. Now, why is Nehemiah so sure of himself? Because he's got his orders from God. Nehemiah's on a mission. Nehemiah's doing what God would have him to do. And he's not going to quit because these guys decide to be critical about it. Nehemiah's going to push ahead. He's going to continue. He's going to build the wall and nothing is going to stop him. And no voice of man is going to tear him down from doing that. That's huge to us. We need to understand this, that we need to get our marching orders from God. You need to understand that what you're doing is what God would have you to do. Now, how are you going to do that? How did Nehemiah do that? How did Nehemiah come to the place where he knew what he was doing was of God? He spent time in prayer, didn't he? In fact, if we were to go back to chapter 1, we would find that he spent four months in prayer, and he talks about prayer day and night. Now, I don't think he was praying 24-7, but I think the burden of his heart was constantly, Lord, this can't be. Lord, this, this wall needs to be rebuilt, Lord. The city's in a wreck and a ruin, Lord. Uh, these people are in affliction, Lord. This can't be, Lord. You've got to help us. We've got to do something about this. We've got to move in this situation, Lord. And so he's prayed, he sought the Lord, and the Lord comes through for him and gives him his marching orders, and nothing is going to stop him. Nothing is going to make him quit. He's going to continue on, and he's going to finish this wall. Now, we're going to face criticism. Let me say, by the way, let me say this uh, uh, to you as a critic, because you know what? We're all criticized, and we're all critics, aren't we? We're we're not supposed to be. But but if we would admit it, uh, we make way too many judgments, don't we? On other people's situations and on other people's... Look at Matthew chapter 7, by the way. Now, Matthew chapter 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount deals with deep things like prayer, like loving your enemies. And it deals with this issue of being a critic. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Got it there? And it says this. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Right? Now, the word judge there is the word crino, and it's that word harsh, censorious judgment. It's when you look at somebody else and you kind of despise them. It's what these guys are doing about the wall. Like, yeah, go on, look at your wall. If a fox goes up, he'll knock that wall down. You know, <clears throat> do you think you're going to build your wall? Do you think you're going to raise it all up? Do you think it's going to be great? Oh, listen, you are a sorry lot. You've been hanging around here now for 100 years. You haven't been able to rebuild the wall. You think you're going to get it done now? Oh, come on, give us a break. And it's that sharp, critical spirit. And we can all be prone to it. We can all be prone. We, 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 we can all have that, 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 that critical spirit. Now, by the way, their critical spirit is born out of the fact that they don't want to see them prosper. 
They do not want to see the, uh, the Jews prosper. They don't, do not want to see the, uh, the wall rebuilt. And there's a key there for us when it comes to criticism. There are times in your life when you have to criticize somebody, when you have to bring up something that's wrong. But you know what? If you're going to bring up something that's wrong in somebody's life, you need to be invested in that life. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you have to be for that person and behind that person. And they need to know that. And if you're not for that person and behind that person, and you throw your criticism at them, you, you know what's going to happen? They're going to reject it. They're going to reject it. They're going, they're, they're going to say no to it. Because you know what? <clears throat> in a sense, you've got to be in the place in somebody's life where you've actually earned the right to say to them, hey, this is not right in your life. So often what we do with criticism is we make our own little judgment based on our own little thinking, based on our own little look at the situation, and then we take that criticism and we fling it at somebody else and they just shrug it off their shoulders and they actually think less of you because of it. Do you notice that? That what you do to the critical people in your life is you build a wall. (laughs) Nehemiah doesn't bat an eyelid at these guys. He doesn't give them the time of day. He doesn't even, he doesn't even stop building to listen to their criticism. Now, you know, really, I think I've learned this in my lifetime, that, you know, if you're not invested in somebody's life and you can't do it in a way that they understand you're doing it because you care about them, criticism's not worth doing because it doesn't do any good. It doesn't help them in the least. You'd be better off praying for them than criticizing them. Because you only get the right to criticize somebody because you care about them. And if you don't care about them and you just want to get a load off your mind or uh, get it off your chest, don't bother. You're just going to cause pain uh, and you're not going to make any impact. And what's going to happen is the person is going to think less of you on the head of it. Okay, now, second thing is, look in our, look in our text here, verse 2. Uh, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now, remember this. God is watching. <clears throat> God is always watching. God is looking down on you and I. <clears throat> God is overhearing all our conversations. God is privy to what's going on in our minds. And when our sharp, censorious judgment kicks in, and we start having them being mean-minded and mean-hearted and speaking meanly about other people, you know what? God sees it, and God recognizes it. And he says this. He says, with what judgment you judge, it shall be measured to you again. God's going to hold you to the standard that you set for other people. That's hard. Because you know what? I am very understanding of all my faults and failings. I am very understanding of them. I can pamper myself and look after myself. But it's easy for me to be understanding about myself and very critical about somebody else. And God says, well, if you're going to be critical, if you're going to actually hold people to uh, some standard, then I'm going to hold you to that standard too. And don't you think that's just fair? Don't you think that's just reasonable? That if you're going to hold somebody else to the standard, then God's going to say, okay. I'm going to hold you to that standard too. Uh, With what measure uh, ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Then look at verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now, a mote is a tiny speck of dust. And a beam is obviously a big piece of wood. That's a ridiculous picture. How are you going to help somebody 
uh, with a moat that's in their eye, when you've got a beam in your own eye, you can't see to help them. You're not going to be able to help them. Now, have you got any beams in your eye? Have you got any problems in your life? Have you got any things that are wrong? You probably do, don't you? Uh, and, And... it behooves us, folks, to look at our own problems before we become critics of all the people around us. You know, if you look at your own problems and you exercise the same kindness and mercy towards others as you do towards yourself, you probably won't be a critic anymore. Because we've all got flaws. We've all got problems. This is a broken world, and every one of us that walks in this broken world is broken. And what we do is we live in this broken world and we interact with broken people, but we hold them to one standard and we hold us to an entirely lower standard. And God says, don't do that. Listen, look at yourself first. You know, I found this. I found that I'm really hopeless at changing people. I can't change anybody. I can preach to my heart's content. I, I mean... Uh, I'm long past the day where I would preach thinking somebody's going to get changed because of what I'm going to say because they need to hear this long past that day because it doesn't work like that. I can't change it. But do you know what I can do? I can learn from the Word of God and by the power of the Spirit of God, I can change me. I can actually change and be different. And you can do that too. And you know, when we become critics of other people, what happens is we take our eyes off ourselves. And we start looking at them. And it's, <clears throat> you know, it's very easy for me uh, and, and you to, to become critics of other people because, you know, it's much more, look, t- to be honest, isn't, isn't it much more easy, easier to talk about other people's faults than it is about your own? I mean, thinking about your own faults will make you humble. Thinking about other people's faults will make you proud. And God says, look, listen, you've got enough problems of your own. What are you doing going around criticizing other people? What are you doing going around picking on other people and telling them how they should do it and telling them to get their life straightened out and if they would do this and if they would do that, they'd be better off? Just deal with your own problems. Right? Look at verse 4. Or how will I say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine eye uh, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Right? Now, here's the thing. If you and I were to apply that rule, Okay? First of all, deal with your own problems and then deal with your brother's problems. We wouldn't be criticizing each other, would we? We just wouldn't. We wouldn't be doing it because we'd actually be productively dealing with our own stuff and not trying to deal with other people's stuff. And let me say this. Criticism in the church is like acid rain. Do you ever see what acid rain does? It'll, it'll eat through metal. It'll eat through metal. <clears throat> I remember looking at a gate. We were looking at somewhere to buy. One of the many places that we were looking at as a church to buy. And I remember looking at the gate, and there's a perfect gate on one side with nice green paint on it. But the back of the gate was gone. It was just rotted away. It was rusted away. And I was talking to the guy about it, and he said, uh, that was acid rain that did that. It was just blowing from that way, and whatever chemicals were there just destroyed the gate, eat the gate up. And criticism in the church is, church is like acid rain. 
That's what it, it, it just tears. It does nothing good. It does nothing helpful. It brings nothing hopeful into the ch- church. It, 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 it just tears things down. It doesn't even do the person who's criticizing any good. It just does damage all around. You see, <clears throat> we need to deal with our own stuff. You see, if we would actually switch it around, we could really be helpful, right? <clears throat> you know how it's easy for me to be merciful towards me? Well, I understand why Dave got the, problem, got the problems he has. He, <clears throat> he's got these issues and these difficulties, and I understand that, you know, uh, <clears throat> he's had a hard life and all the rest of it, and I want to mind Dave and look after Dave, and, and you want to mind you and look after you, right? Okay, well, if I would change that, if I would turn that around, and if you would turn that around, and instead of minding Dave and looking after Dave... I would mind others and look after others. And instead of being critical of others, I would be rightly critical of Dave. I could change. And so could you. You could change. You could be different. You could walk away from some of the habits that have held you back all your life, and you could be different But as long as you spend your time pointing the finger at other people, you're just taking the focus off yourself, putting it on other people, and it doesn't help you and it doesn't help them. You're all very quiet at this point, okay? Um, This is not fun stuff. But folks, it is helpful stuff. I'm not getting at you. Uh, This is actually helpful. This will help us. Let let me say this, too, before we get off this subject, right? In in your marriage, the, the easiest place in the world to be critical is in your marriage, is it not? Because you, you, the, the problem when two people live together for long enough, they know each other's flaws, all of them. <clears throat> they have the inside track. They know all each other's flaws. They know what's going on. Uh, in, in some ways, from observation, you almost get to know the other person better than they know themselves. And so you can actually become the arch critic of your spouse. You can, actually, you can actually pick all the flaws and all the holes. And then, now, what happens in a relationship like that? Well, let me ask you. What happens when somebody constantly criticizes you? How many of people in your life have you got that are constantly criticizing your life and you are in good fellowship with them? Nobody. Not true? People who are constantly critical of you, uh, you get rid of out of your life as quickly as you can. They say, we can't get rid of your, your spouse. No. But you know what happens? Husbands and wives build walls between each other to protect themselves from each other because they're critical. Now, look, I understand. Uh, Your husband, your wife are not perfect. Because there are no perfect people. Because it's a broken world. And we live in a broken world and we're all broken people. And you you get to be privy to the brokenness of your spouse. But if you get to be their chief critic, you know what? You'll just destroy your marriage. And we're Christians, so we do the right thing. So, you know, we stay living in the marriage. But you know what? You can actually tear it apart from the inside. So you're not hearing each other because there's just criticism going on. Listen, I get it. Your spouse has problems. I get it. I understand. But you being critical doesn't change any of those problems. It doesn't help any of them, in fact, at all. It just destroys what could be between you. So you say, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just ignore the problems? No, here's what I want you to do. I want you to exercise the same measure of mercy towards them as you do towards you. You understand why you do things wrong, and you give yourself leeway, don't you? 
Well, exercise the same measure of mercy to them. You know, <clears throat> it's God's job to change people. It's not yours. And I think probably in every marriage, in every marriage, somebody at some point thinks, I'll change them. I'll change him. I'll change her. I'll make them different. And <clears throat> do you know what? <clears throat> um, uh, we need to be honest. You don't change anyone. I'm the pastor. I can't change anyone. <clears throat> um, I mean, it's not what I signed up for when I became a pastor. People were going to change. People were going to walk with God and everything. Yeah, I can't change anyone. I can preach the word. And if somebody wants to, they can take the word and they can change. And you know, when it comes to your marriage, you can't change your spouse. But you can pray for your spouse. And you can love your spouse. And you can honor your spouse. And God's able to change people. You say, but I tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> All right? Hang on a minute. Isn't that what we always do? We give God a timeline. Okay, God, God you've got so long to do this, and if you don't do it, then I'm, gonna, <clears throat> I'm out or I'm going to change my plan. No, listen, you need to understand. That's God's business. You can love somebody imperfect because we're all imperfect. If you can't love somebody imperfect, don't get married. Go be a hermit. Because <clears throat> everybody, else, everybody else around here is imperfect. So you've got to come to the place where you make peace with the imperfections and where you actually learn to love in spite of those perfections. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ told us to love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Well, that was kind of a, a, a no-brainer, wasn't it? Holy Spirit's going to fill them all. They're all going to be uh, wonderful and they're going to love each other. I don't think anybody realized what he was saying. No, you're all broken. Peter, you're broken. John, you're broken. Um, <clears throat> all you guys, you're all broken. And you're going to live in broken families with broken children and broken spouses. And, but I want you to love one another anyway. And <clears throat> when Jesus tells you to do something, this. Two things you need to always reckon on. First of all, he means it. He didn't tell you to do it for you to reinterpret it as something entirely different to what he said. He means. He means love one another. Right? <clears throat> and by the way, if you can't love in your home, where can you love? Right? <clears throat> so he says, love one another. And the second thing you need to understand is that he always provides the supernatural power to do what he told you to do. That it's not a case of, okay, he's told me to do it, so I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to make sure it happens and I'm going to do it and I'm going to... No. He always provides the supernatural power to enable you to do what he said for you to do. So can you love your spouse? Of course you can. You can love your spouse if you're willing to be the right kind of Christian. Can you love the other people in the church? Of course you can. Can you love your family? Of course you can. Can you guys in the men's home love each other? I don't even talk about that because we're all guys, okay? <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. That's what he meant. He meant for us to love one another. And understand this. A critical spirit and love do not belong in the same room. You can't have a critical spirit and love somebody. Don't kid yourself. If you're critical of somebody, you don't love them. And if you love somebody, you're not going to be critical towards them. And you know what? If you're not critical towards somebody and you love somebody and <clears throat> you pray for them, you know, God just might give you an opportunity to be a help in their lives. And you might be able to 
be used of God. You wouldn't be changing them. Wouldn't be your plan. Wouldn't be you doing it. But you'd be used of God to help somebody affect change in their lives. That's pretty heady. That's pretty exciting when God allows you uh, to be involved in what he's doing. But it's not you doing it. And it's not you beating them into submission. It's you actually coming to the place where you're used of God. So let me give you those points again. Listen, <clears throat> if you're not invested in somebody's life, you probably don't have any place criticizing them. You probably don't have any place kind of uh, going after them and trying to sort them out because, you know what? They're not going to listen. <clears throat> and uh, the measure you meet is the measure you will get. So if you're going to criticize people, think about it. Do I meet this standard? Am I up to this? Because he says that's what you're going to get. <clears throat> and then remember, you're not perfect. Keep that in mind. Tell yourself every day. I know the, uh, the, 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 the gurus would have you have the little thing on your mirror in the morning that says, you are great, you are wonderful, you can do anything, right? <clears throat> well, I, I, let, let me suggest a biblical alternative. <clears throat> remember, you're not perfect. Put that in your mirror. Because <clears throat> you're not. You're not perfect. And we have a much greater problem with thinking we're better than everybody else than we do with thinking we're nobodies. <clears throat> and then, if you live in a constantly critical mind towards somebody, you're going to ruin the relationship. You just are. We know that. You can't live with it. I can't live with it. Nobody can live with it. You can't be constantly critical towards somebody. You've got to snap out of that. You've got to ask God to help you there. You've got to change that. Right? <clears throat> because you'll ruin the relationship. All right. Then Nehemiah's response. Right, we leave all that hard stuff there. I leave it with you. You take it home uh, and think about it and um, act accordingly. And I won't, I, won't, I won't actually think of any of you uh, doing anything with it. And you don't think of anybody else doing anything with it. You just do what God would have you to do. And that'll be great. Okay? All right. So what did Nehemiah do? Uh, Nehemiah's response, he prayed. When you're criticized, that's a great response. He said, hear, O oh Lord. Lord, listen, you're listening to them. What did he do? He put it in God's hands. Leave retaliation to the Lord. You see, here's what happens. When somebody criticizes us, very often we react in the flesh, don't we? And what happens when you react in the flesh? It gets nasty real quick. It gets real nasty real quick. You start going after somebody. <clears throat> somebody starts going after you. You respond, yeah, well, you're this and you're that. And they respond, oh, man, it can get nasty. And you can have a whole bucket load of problems. You can take one little problem and you can escalate your problem into a huge problem by retaliation. You can do, I mean, you can do that. You've got to learn that one that, you know, uh, you, you don't throw oil on a fire. And when somebody's criticizing you, you go after them. If Nehemiah had come down off the wall and come down off his work and said, now, hang on a minute, you guys. You're this and you're that and you're the other and you have no interest in this wall and you have no part in this wall anyway. And, and you know, you should, just, you should just stay out of this. And get, told them a few home truths, which I'm sure he had a few home truths that he, that he wanted to tell them. You know what? He would have just gotten into a pile of trouble. And you know what he would have done? He would have been off the wall. And that's exactly what the enemy wanted. The enemy wanted him off the wall. But he didn't. Now, here's the thing. Criticism can stop you from doing what God would have you to do. Now, if people come after you and say to you, listen, you're, <clears throat> you're nuts. That's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. It can actually hinder you from doing what God would have you to do. And when you get into it with them, 
It just gets bad. See what you need to do? You need to pray. You see, Nehemiah was taken on board. The truth from Romans chapter 8. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will start Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. He was leaving it in God's hands. He was doing what, Peter, what Jesus did. Uh, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2, verse 20, 23. When he was reviled, uh, he reviled not again. When he was threatened, he threatened not, but he trusted himself to him that judgeth righteous judgment. He said, Lord, this is your problem, not mine. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm building the wall. <clears throat> These guys are going after me. This is your problem, not mine. I'm, I'm passing it over to you, Lord. And he passed it over to him, and he didn't miss a beat, and he didn't blink. And he didn't stop building the wall. He continued on building the wall. By the way, that's what made Nehemiah great. That ability to find out what God wanted him to do and to do it, no matter what anybody was saying to him. To go after it and refuse to be stopped no matter what. Somebody said that the measure of a man is what it takes to stop him. What does it take? When you know what God wants you to do, uh, what does it take to stop you? Do you, do, you, do you fall at the first criticism? Oh, well, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to work anyway. Listen, if God wants you to do it, it doesn't matter who's criticizing it. You need to do it. You need to go for it and do it. Now, I don't think you should reject all counsel. And I, don't think, I, I think everybody should have some people in their lives where you listen to their, uh, their criticism of you. Some people who are invested in your life. Some people who you can go and say, what do you think of this? And, and, and they're going to give you the, <clears throat> uh, the straight up about it. Uh, I think you should have some people in your life where you listen to them and you listen to their, to their counsel. But you know what? You can't afford to let the critics in your life hinder you from doing what God would have you do. And all too often we do. We let the critics hinder us and stop us from doing what God would have us do. <clears throat> What you need to do is you need to pray and then you need to persist. Here's effectively what Nehemiah said. He said, "Uh, okay, guys, all right, listen, keep mixing the mortar and pass me another brick. Let's keep going. Let's not stop. Let's not let these guys get in the way of what God is doing. When you have God's plan, you just need to keep on going. And you see, Nehemiah's going to endure this and other stuff. We'll see as we go through the book uh, all along, but he's not going to stop. And 52 days after they started, they're going to look at this wall and they're going to say, good night, it's built. It's up. It happened. It's there. Nearly 100 years and it's not. And now 52 days and it goes up. But he just won't quit. How many times do you begin something and then criticism or opposition comes up and you give up? And you give up and you say, ah, it's too good to, to be true anyway. I knew it wouldn't work. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I knew, uh, I, I, I knew it wouldn't happen. Not for me anyway. Because somebody deflated you. Somebody uh, let the air out of your balloon. And somebody put you in the place where you thought, ah, and you just give up. Don't do that. Go to God. Get your plan from God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time seeking God uh, about the issue. When you get your plan from God, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't let the critics tear you down. The critics are not the ones that count. You know what? There's never been a leader that wasn't criticized. It's just the way it is. You know, if you're going to actually lead and you're going to stand in front of everybody and say, hey, listen, this is the way we need to go. 
You know what? There's always going to be many more people behind you saying, look at your man. He thinks he's great. He thinks he's wonderful. Listen, don't let the critics hinder you and stop you from doing it. The measure of a man is what it takes to stop him. If you've got God's plan, go for it. You'll be amazed at what God will do. Four points to keep in mind when dealing with criticism, right? First one is this. If you're a leader, you can't avoid it. It's coming your way. And by the way, you should all be leaders in certain areas, I realize. Men and women, there's leadership in all of you. It's got different areas, but you should be leaders. You're going to have to step out sometimes and do something God wants you to do. And other people are going to say, don't do that. If you do that, you're going to cause trouble. And you're going to have to do it anyway. <clears throat> if you're going to lead, you're going to, you can't avoid it. You need to develop a thick skin. And by the way, that's really what we do with people who are constantly critical of us. We develop a thick skin so that they can't hurt us anymore. That's why it's so terrible to be critical all the time. That's why it's so terrible to have that critical spirit. So if you're a leader, you can't avoid it. You're going to face criticism. Just make peace with it. People are going to criticize me. People are going to not see what God wants to do in my life. That's okay. I'm just going to do what God will have me do. Anyway, <clears throat> secondly, fight it on your knees. What does that mean? Pray. You know, <clears throat> where was the criticism from, from ne- Nehemiah coming? Sanballat and Tobiah. Where was it coming to them from? The enemy. It was spiritual, wasn't it? This wall was spiritual. Jerusalem's a spiritual city. All this, all this was spiritual. You know, behind it all, there was an enemy. That's why Nehemiah couldn't fight it by just going toe-to-toe with these guys. He had to bring it before the Lord because it was a spiritual warfare. And you know what? When it comes to criticism and you've got something God wants you to do, you need to understand that. Now fight it on your knees. Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm depending upon you. Lord, you deal with them. I'm not going to mess with them. You deal with them. You deal with the situation. Put it in God's hands. Don't you go dealing with it. And then number three. Evaluate the criticism. Now let me say what I mean by that. Right? You know, there are those people that are constantly critical of of you, and you're just going to have a thick skin towards them. That's human nature, right? And it's very hard for those people to actually have an impact on you because they're constantly critical. But there are other people whose criticism you need to take on board, and you need to listen to. There are other people who have an investment in your life, who have a say in your life, who maybe are affected by what you're doing in your life, and you need to actually evaluate it. You need to take it on board and listen to it. You see, <clears throat> here's one of the dangers for us. Uh, the danger is that you, you, can be, you can come to the place in your life where you don't listen to anybody's criticism of you, and you don't want criticism, and you put up a wall towards everybody as far as criticizing you, and then you're living in your own little world. But nobody able to break into it and tell you you're wrong. And a lot of people get to that place in their lives. You've got to have some people that you trust that you say, now, what do you think of this? And when they tell you it's a rotten idea, you take it on board. Now, it doesn't mean that you automatically stop because they think it's a rotten idea. But when they t- tell you it's a rotten idea, you say, okay, I'm going to think about that and pray about that. You've got to have those people <clears throat> because, you know, we're living in a broken world. And you're a broken person. Whether you like to face it or not, you're a broken person. You're not all that you 
could be, you're not all that you should be, and you're definitely not all that you will be. And you know what? Sometimes you need other people's input. You need other people. You need to come to other people and, and ask them what they think of the situation, and you take it seriously. People that care, people that you know care, people whose heart is for you, people who really want to help you, people are be, who are behind what you're doing and really want to succeed, want to see it succeed, you need to listen to them. <clears throat> you need to evaluate the criticism. And then just a note, when criticizing somebody, when you've got to bring a problem to somebody, remember the spirit in which you do it will make the difference between destructive and constructive criticism. What do I mean by that? The Bible says this. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. When you've got a friend that cares about you enough to come to you and say to you, you're wrong, that's a good friend. That's a good friend. You've got friends in your life that wouldn't dare cross you like that. But when you've got a friend in your life that comes to you and says to you, look, uh, this is going to hurt, but you you need to hear it. That's, That's a good friend. That's a good thing. You, you, you need to take that uh, <clears throat> well. But if you're the one doing the criticism, you need to be careful of the words that you use in that situation. If you want to score points off somebody else, call them your friend or not, turn around and walk away, learn to bite your tongue. Right? Because <clears throat> you're not going to help them. But if you can come to somebody who's got a genuine problem, and you love them enough to come to them and say to them, look, I need to say this to you. I know it's going to hurt, and I know I'm even risking our friendship on it, but I, I want to say this to you. And your heart is definitely for them, and you love them in it. That's a good thing for you to actually risk it with them. Now, be careful. You've got to be for them. And you've got to use the right words, or you can hurt them. And then... <clears throat> Lastly, you need to persist. Just keep on doing what God would have you do. Don't let the critics wear you out and tear you down. And they can. It can get under your skin. They can get under your skin and wear you out. I know several men that were in the ministry and are not anymore. And, you know, if you scratch beneath the surface, one of the big issues for them was just constant criticism that they got weary of. They couldn't handle it anymore, and, and they just got out. Now, the shame of that is this, right? They're not doing what God would have them to do today because they let criticism wear them down. No, you keep doing what God would have you do. You keep doing what God would have you do until God tells you, stop. You don't quit because of the critics. You don't quit because people aren't happy. Remember Moses in the wilderness? You know, we've been looking at Moses this morning in men's Sunday school. And Moses is out in the wilderness, and, and, and he's herding sheep, and, and God says, come on, you leave my people out of, out of Egypt. Great task. And Moses is 80 years old, and he says, you know what, I give it a pass. Just get somebody else to do it. You know, I don't mind who. Just get, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You know, he was right. <laughs> Humanly speaking, he was right. Because they gave him murder. The next 40 years of his life were murdered. They gave him murder. Right? <clears throat> and but he had to keep on doing what God would have him do. And he's regarded as one of the greatest leaders in history. He's regarded as 
the great in in in, in um, <clears throat> Hebrew history now uh, it, it's interesting that you know he's dead so he's regarded as great and oftentimes you have to be dead before people say how great you are right but anyway <clears throat> that that that's Moses but you know what he just kept doing it once he finally overcame his difficulties and did it he just kept doing it you need to do the same when God tells you what he wants to do wants you to do you need to set yourself up and you need to do it. And you need to keep on doing it. And if nobody likes what you're doing, that's okay. You just keep on doing it. Because one day you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to stand before a tribunal of your peers. It's going to be one man. The Son of God. And he knows. He knows everything. He knows what they said. He knows why they said it. And he knows what he told you to do. And all he's interested is in this. Have you been a faithful servant? Have you actually done what I told you to do? And the answer you need to give him is, yes, Lord, the best I could, by your power, I did what you told me to do. You don't need to tell him, well, I was, but they were, they were mean to me. And so, you know what? <clears throat> they were so mean that I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this anymore. So it's their fault, Lord. No. You need to do what God would have you to do, regardless of what anyone says. And you need to persist. You need to keep on doing it. Nehemiah's a great leader. <clears throat> Nehemiah built a wall in 52 days that uh, <clears throat> a whole host of people couldn't build in the guts of 100 years. You know what? God allowed the trouble and the difficulties coming into his life. And he thrived on it. You can draw near to God and you can thrive on it too. Don't let the critics wear you out. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your goodness to us. Now, Lord, would you bless? Uh, would you move in the hearts of your people? Lord, <clears throat> we can be such a critical bunch. Oh, Lord, may we not be. May your children not make, make nothing of other of your servants, Lord, but may we look at our, your, your servants and see you working in their lives and their hearts. Or may we deal with our own sin and our own problems and our own difficulties before we go after other people. But Lord, when we find out what you have us to do, and when you give us a plan, and Lord, may we not quit, not give up, and not let anyone steal it from us, Lord, but may we stand before you in that day and hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, would you bless us? Uh, we are feeble, frail people, but you're a great God. Would you bless us now in Jesus' name? Amen.